It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, December 26, 2008. It is the second day of Christmas. Yeah, that's right. You ever heard that song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? Christmas is a 12-day-long party, man. <laughs> the way it should be. And uh, we got... Well, it's going to be an interesting program. Grab your Bible. You're going to need it. We've got a lot to do today, folks. Uh, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. The goal of this program is on a daily basis to dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment. And that daily dose of biblical discernment could cause you to, um, well, become dissatisfied with your church. Especially if your pastor has gone into this purpose-driven drivel is probably the best way to describe it. And uh, your pastor isn't really teaching you God's word, but has decided that instead he's going to find more important things to do, like give you pop psychology, give you self-help, give you the prosperity gospel, give you tips for living, give you anything except for God, except for God and his word, except for Christ and his word, except for Christ and him crucified. And so what we do is we compare what people are saying, major leaders out there in the uh, religious world, especially Christian leaders, and compare what they're saying to the Word of God and ask the question, is that what the Bible teaches? So today, um, we're just going to go for it. we got some good stuff here. We're going to talk a little bit about Islam. Um, got a couple of news stories that uh, are worth reviewing here. Uh, one is that in Nazareth, uh, during Christmas, the Muslims in Nazareth e uh, erected a banner that says, Allah has no son. Okay? You want to know, <laughs> you think that we can just get along nicely, give a big group hug to Muslims? You've got another thing coming. Um, real Muslims are not interested in getting along with us. They consider us to be infidels. And uh, we'll read this story from uh, from the internet. And then we got the Times Online in uh, the U.K., Apparently, Channel 4 in the Great Britain, um, the person who runs Channel 4, had an alternative Christmas, Christmas message broadcast in Great Britain. And uh, the alternative Christmas message was given by Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, leader of Iran. And apparently he has his own ideas about what Jesus is all about, too. And we're going to compare that to the Word of God. We're going to compare that to what uh, Rick Warren, the results of Rick Warren's speech over at uh, the Muslim Public Affairs Council a week ago on Saturday, and com compare it to what uh, Brian McLaren has says. And we're going to be, one of the things we're going to take a look at, have you considered this? What is, what, when somebody isn't a Christian, according to Scripture, what is their state before God? Does God say, oh, they're a good person, they're good people, they're, they mean well? Or is, does the Bible say something different? Different. Different. Different, much okay. different. Well, we're going to go through the different part, okay? And this is real simple. Folks, okay, you want to know what Roseboro believes? Well, I believe the scriptures. Actually, it doesn't even matter what I believe. That's the funny part. Who cares what Roseboro believes? The scriptures make it clear that uh, if you don't trust Christ for your salvation— um, you are in spiritual deep kimchi, okay? You st you literally face 
having to explain to God all the well, all the sins that you've committed, and you get to be judged based upon your own self-righteousness. You mean it doesn't matter how much I love God? Well, that's kind of the point. You really can't. Because um, if you did, then you'd love Christ. You see what I'm saying? Anyway, we'll, we'll get into all of that today. And uh, since Rick Warren seems to be all over the news, rather than fight it, we're just going to go with it. <laughs> we're going to do a piece today. We're going to take a look at uh, the controversy regarding Rick Warren and this, you know, the, the, the controversy continues. And I, I've got a different angle on this Rick Warren thing now with the with the inauguration address and the, the homosexual community all up in arms about the fact that Obama would pick Rick Warren. My question is, what is Rick Warren? We're going to get into that. And we're going to ask that question today. We'll play some video and then um, we're going to spend some time. Reviewing the Rick Warren's Saddleback 2008 sermon that he that was broadcast on Fox News, because why I just like having my ears bleed, but it, it, it'll help us answer the question: What is Rick Warren? Because I, folks, he doesn't behave like a pastor. He twists God's word better than any Mormon or Jehovah's Witness I've ever talked with. Okay, in fact, I would say the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, when it comes to handling God's word, are more honest than Rick Warren. Okay, we'll prove that point today. So we're going to be review Rick Warren's uh, Christmas sermon. We're, we got a lot. On, we got a lot on deck. So, uh, and folks, I have been getting emails, but we're not going to do email today. So uh, stay tuned. Next week, we'll get to some emails. So, in fact, I'm going to be on the road on Monday and Tuesday. So I'm going to be recording my programs on the road. Because I just love recording programs on the road because it's so much fun. <laughs> so stay tuned. All right, so here's a question we've got for today. It's the second day of Christmas, 2008. Yes, there are 12 days of Christmas. And this is all leading up to the Epiphany, right? Okay. And um, the uh, <clears throat> let me read this story. Here, This is uh, from uh, the CNS, uh, cnsnews.com. And uh, the, the headline... Uh, let me see if I can get this working right here. The, there we go. <clears throat> Headline reads, um, as Christmas approaches, obviously this is from a couple days ago, Muslims erect Allah has no sun banner in Nazareth. Now, you think we have so much in common with Islam. You know, if you would listen to Rick Warren and uh, and Brian McLaren lately, right? Or Rob Bell and the gang. I mean, uh, doesn't everyone know that all religions are pretty much the same thing? Or as the... Uh, as the Dalai Lama said back in uh, April at the Seeds of Compassion event, which Rob Bell was on the stage when he said it, that the that there that the that actually all of the different seeming appearances in all of the different world religions and philosophies are just that they're just seeming appearances, and what they really do is show us the creativity the creativity of the Buddha. Okay, and but the, see the thing is is that the reality is they all produce the same result, and that's altruism. See, the way you, t you test whether or not a religion is true is whether or not it creates altruism in its followers. So if you are a Muslim and you are altruistic, then you, you are following the Buddha. <laughs> According to, I, I, I'm not making that up. Go back and look in the Fighting for the Faith archives. And early on, we did some programs on uh, Rob Bell and the Seeds of Compassion event. And listen to what the, what the Dalai Lama said. So here's the deal. Muslim, Islam is here showing its true colors. According to the Quran, God doesn't have a son, okay? And so right before Christmas, in the city of Nazareth, okay, the Muslims in Nazareth erected a banner that said that Allah has no son. So we read from cnsnews.com, 
As Nazareth Christians prepare to celebrate Christmas, they are playing down the appearance of a confrontational Islamic banner that challenges an elemental Christian belief. A journalist visiting the city saw two large banners, one in English and one in Arabic, hanging in the plaza in front of the uh, Basilica of the Annunciation with a verse from the Quran, uh, Surah 112, verses 1 through 4, that contradicts the New Testament proclamation that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And you, you know what? Here, here's the deal. I look at this and I go, <laughs> at least these guys are being honest. Okay, folks, we got to get our head out of the sand. Islam is not the same as Christianity. It is not. They're two completely different religions. Either one is true, the other is false, or the other is true, and the other is false, or they're both false. Logically, that's the only conclusions that you can come to. Okay, either Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, or Allah has no son. Pick one. Okay, it, but the two statements cannot be true. They're mutually exclusive. Okay. So we continue. Uh, so the, the verse in question says, in the name of Allah, the most uh, beneficent, the most merciful, really Allah is merciful. I had no idea. Say, O Muhammad, he is Allah, the one and the only Allah, the eternal, the absolute. He begetteth not, nor was he begotten. And there is none like unto him. The banner reads. Nazareth Mayor uh, Ramiz uh, Jarizi played down concerns that the banner effectively denying Jesus's deity was provocative to Christians, although he did question its position in front of Nazareth's most prominent landmark. Quote, I don't think it's provocative against anyone, he said. Really? It's not provocative against anyone? Do you think they just accidentally, you know, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, let's pick a verse from the Quran and then stick it on a banner in front of the, come on, this, this get your head out of the sand. You know, what are these people smoking? I'm serious. Islam is not interested in coexisting with us. And I can't stand those bumper stickers. Do you see those bumper stickers out there that have all the different world religion symbols on it? And it says coexist. I haven't seen that one yet. Okay. <clears throat> so this guy, this guy in Nazareth, the mayor says, I don't think it's provocative against anyone. He says, my point of view is that it's not the right place to put it and it's not the right way to do that. Well, if it's not provocative against anyone, then why is it wrong to do it or put it there? But um, Jairizi said that he would not remove the beginner because some Islamic fundamentalist groups were looking to provoke a confrontation in order to promote their cause. He did not want to provide them with that opportunity. Uh, situated in northern Israel, Nazareth is the largest Arab city in Israel. It is also one of the highest concentrations of Christians here. Although Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Christian residents of Nazareth are proud to point to Christianity's roots in their town. Um, so there it is. You've got Muslims putting up a provocative verse, basically saying that Allah has no son. Good. You know, to which I basically say, then marshal your text. Let's get the evidence out. Let's have a good old, old fashioned debate, confrontational polemics, winner take all. Okay. Cause here's the deal. When Christ returns in glory, do you think he's going to say to those Muslims, oh, they were just Muslim. They were just, you know, they were uh, they were not guided properly. They meant well in saying that, that Allah has no son, and but they were just misguided. Zealous, but misguided. And that's okay. They're saved anyway. You think that's what Jesus is going to say when he returns? I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah, me too. Okay. So, well, which is it? Did, is Jesus the only begotten son, or does Allah, which means God, have no son? Which is it? 
Well, you have to pick a team and, and root for that one. You can't root for both teams. Right. Pick a team. Okay. And, folks, I would say pick a team based on the evidence. Okay. I'm serious. There is no evidence to support the Quran. None whatsoever. It is a fabricated, you know, it is the fabricated musings and imaginations of a very bizarre man, Muhammad. It is not inspired by God. It does not come from God. And there's no support. There's nothing to support that. However, Jesus, on the other hand, claimed to be God in human flesh and proved his claim by actually raising himself from the dead three days after Pontius Pilate crucified him. And there were 500 witnesses to his resurrection. The most prominent of which were his his closest associates, the disciples, right? And they all, with the exception of one, went to their deaths as martyrs, proclaiming and never denying that they had seen Jesus alive. Okay, now it's one thing to die for something that you believe to be true but is false, okay? But it's a whole other thing to die for something that you know is a lie, okay? The disciples did not behave as men who knew that what they were teaching is a lie. It would, you know, in fact, they went to their deaths proclaiming that they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection from the dead, Right? Again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Remember the the, the pro- prophecies we went through last week? Again, the prophecies regarding Jesus are, are are amazing in and of themselves. And I stand by the statistical analysis from that book that, that Science Speaks. It's well done, and it's, it's an excellent little resource. You want to go back and listen to that program. So here we got Muslims who are basically claiming that uh, Allah has no son. Well, great, good. They're actually being honest about what they're all about. Okay. You know, so while that's going on, you had Rick Warren speaking at, you know, the Muslim Public Affairs Council. We covered that a little bit last week. And let me remind you, Rick Warren, who is a Christian pastor, okay, he's supposed to represent Team Jesus, using John's metaphor. Good, good metaphor, by the way. Um, so Rick Warren's supposed to be representing Team Jesus. And after, by the way, I'll put a link up to the audio from that event I, actually, it's video, video and audio. I'd play it for you, but it is boring. Why is it boring? Because I kid you not, for 35 minutes, Rick Warren just talked about himself, which is what he does very well. Okay, it wasn't profound. It wasn't anything. But at the end of it, okay, at the end of it, uh, KPCC here in uh, Southern California, which is our local uh, public radio affiliate, um, you know, they had a reporter there, Frank Stoltz, and Stoltz interviewed people to get their reactions, you know, the Muslims in attendance at this uh, event. And here's one of the result. Here's one of the person on the street interviews, Sajid Vera, said that it was it was eye opening. And Stoltz asked, well, what was eye opening about Rick Warren's speech? And Vera said, well, the similarities between what he believes and what is his faith is and what Islam teaches us. It's the same coin with two different sides. So Rick Warren's event, you know, great big speech at the Muslim Public Affairs Council, the end result is you have Muslims thinking that Christianity and Islam are two sides of the same coin. They couldn't be farther from the farther away from each other if they tried. The big difference is that Islam teaches that if you have any chance of getting into heaven, Allah, the merciful, then you have got a lot of work to do and you've got to live up to the five pillars of Islam if you're one way or eight, if you're a different kind of, you know, Sunni or, you know, you have to work, 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 work. And hopefully, maybe, just maybe, you might be able to get in. 
Christianity teaches that Jesus Christ himself is God in human flesh who died for the sins of the world and salvation isn't earned, it's given as a gift. Simply trust and believe in Christ and you are saved. It's a religion of grace versus a religion of works. And Islam says that Jesus is not the son of God. Christianity says, oh, contraire, he not only is he the son of the God, but God is father, son, and Holy Spirit. That one true God is, is triune. Islam says that, that there is no trinity, that Allah is one. It, that's it, singular. They cannot both be right. And when a Christian pastor who's supposed to be on Team Jesus goes and speaks at the Muslim Public Affairs Council and the takeaway that the Muslims have is that, oh, wow, it sounds like we believe, you know, we're pretty much two sides of the same coin. That pastor has not done any of these Muslims a favor whatsoever. Then we've got this little fun thing. Um, the headline from here, this is from the Times Online um, in the UK. You know, apparently on Christmas Day on Channel 4 in the UK, there was a an alternative Christmas message given, and the person giving it was none other than Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Listen to this, Jesus. This is fun. Yeah, here, here's here's the uh, yeah, okay Iranians Ahmadinejad to give alternative uh, Christmas message by Joanna Sugden from the Times Online in the UK. Um, it, Jewish groups were up in arms today when it was revealed that Channel 4's alternative Christmas Day broadcast is to be delivered by President. Ahmadinejad of Iran. Ahmadinejad's, uh, Ahmadinejad's speech will go out at 7.15 p.m., four hours after the Queen's traditional uh, Christmas Day message is broadcast on the main channels. And his message is a spiritual one, but includes some more nakedly political elements, including the implicit claim that if Jesus Christ were alive today, he would oppose uh, U.S. hegemony. Yeah, basically, hegemony is this idea that one state rules with an iron fist over another. You know, that's what he claims is going on. So here's a quote from Ahmadinejad, because everyone knows that he's such a good Christian. Okay, apparently he likes celebrating Christmas, right? A quote, um, if Christ was on earth today, undoubtedly he would stand with the people in opposition to bullying ill-tempered expansionist powers. Mr. Ahmadinejad will say in a speech to be shown in Farsi with English subtitles, quote, if Christ was on earth today, undoubtedly he would hoist the banner of justice and love for humanity to oppose warmongers, occupiers, terrorists, and bullies the world over. If Christ was on earth today, undoubtedly he would fight against the tyrannical policies of prevailing global economic and political systems as he did in his lifetime. Has Mahmoud Ahmadinejad been... Uh, Spending some time with Brian McLaren from the Emergent Church? Really? Okay. Let's see. If, historically, just real quick here. Jesus is born in occupation Israel, right? Israel is being occupied by, oh, I know, the Roman Empire, right? So they're, they're, Jesus, okay, grew up in Israel under Roman occupation, there were, by the way, in his time, people who were called zealots. We would call them terrorists today, okay? The zealots were really fun. They were, were all about trying to overthrow the, the, the political rule and imperialistic tendencies of the Roman Empire. Did Jesus uh, hang out with the zealots? No, he didn't. Um, was he fighting to overthrow the unjust imperial political system of the Romans? Uh, no, he wasn't. So my question, uh, what 
I mean, what is Ahmadinejad sticking in his hookah? You know, what what is he talking about? Jesus wasn't into fighting against tyrannical policies of prevailing global economic and political systems. He came to announce the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? That's the question. Well, here's the fun thing. The kingdom of God right now is the kingdom of the forgiveness of sins. Is it not? Yes. Because when Jesus, the risen from the dead king, okay, going to open up my computerized Bible just to make my point again, because this is, well, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Let's put this into political empire talk here. And Jesus, the risen and political, I'm sorry, the, the risen king announcing the king of God, kingdom of God. He sent the apostles out. He sent the disciples out and said to do this. Okay, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. This is Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 46. And that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The kingdom of God that we're supposed that Christians are supposed to be announcing is the kingdom of God based upon repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It is a kingdom based upon forgiveness. We are to go and to announce to the world Christ crucified for our sins, that God himself made flesh, Emmanuel, using some Christmas lingo there, comes to earth and we are to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Sounds like the good news. That is good news. But here we've got Ahmadinejad and I would say a bunch of his emergent buddies who've got this Jesus who supposedly um, and undoubtedly would fight against tyrannical policies of prevailing global economic and political systems as he did in his lifetime. This isn't the Jesus of Scripture he's describing here. This is, this is the Marxist social gospel liberation theology Jesus. But it's not the Jesus of Scripture. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of the forgiveness of sins here on earth. And where do you hear the forgiveness of sins proclaimed and announced in Jesus' name? In church, right? Well, at least you should. You should. Yeah, it may not be anymore. Um, but here's the deal. Folks, it's time for us to get real here, okay? The Jesus of Islam is not the Jesus of Scripture. The two are worlds apart. And I don't think it's coincidental that Mahmoud Ahmadinejad's Jesus has so much in common with Brian McLaren's Jesus because Brian McLaren is a heretic. Let's just get that out on the table. He's not somebody who represents the kingdom of God. He represents some kind of liberation theology, Hegelian social justice Jesus, who is not the Jesus of scripture. Plain and simple. He's reimagined, rethunk Jesus into some kind of a who knows what he is. And of course, remember in Brian McLaren's uh, newest book, <coughs> um, called finding our way again, Brian McLaren writes about Muhammad. This, he says during his lifetime, Abraham, like Moses, Jesus and Muhammad had an encounter with God. No, Muhammad did not have an encounter with the one true God. Islam does not teach the truth regarding God, period. End of story. Okay, so you got Brian McLaren out there claiming that Muhammad had an encounter with God and somehow thinking that, G that you can be a good Muslim and a follower of Jesus at the same time. No, you can't. 
Because here's the deal. Only in Christianity do you hear of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. In all other religions in the world, it's all about what you do to placate God's wrath against you. Name the different steps, whether it's lighting incense, burning a candle, saying a Hail Mary, climbing the, you know, climbing up steps that Jesus supposedly was whipped on, you know, you know, doing it on your knees, sleeping at night in a cell in a, in a monastery, naked and cold and on the floor and shivering to death, working off your sins or being purpose driven. Okay. All of those are you doing what you have to do to placate God and merit his favor based upon your works. But only true Christianity teaches that none of that amounts to a hill of beans. You cannot placate God. You cannot earn his favor. You cannot work your way out of the situation that you're in. You are stuck in your sins. And the only way out is to repent and to trust in the forgiveness of sins won fully for you by Jesus Christ on the cross. Not partially, not just kind of getting you in the door and the rest is up to you. No, 100% salvation, 100% free by Jesus Christ. Islam doesn't teach that. Buddhism doesn't teach that. Whatever, you know, there's no other religion on earth that teaches that. Everybody thinks that somehow they've got to placate God by, uh, by what they do. So what can you do to make God happy? <laughs> the answer, here's the deal. You can't do anything to make God. John asked the question, what can you do to make God happy? The reality is you can't make God happy. I don't have anything God wants. Uh, no. Uh, cause here's the deal. In, in you right now, okay, you were born in rebellion you were born a sinner, and you were born actively hostile to God. So tell me what it is in you that exactly the God thinks, oh, well, that guy's got potential. How about my tithe? No, that's not going to do it either. Oh. Yeah. So, um, no, that's not going to do it. You can't do enough good works. You cannot do enough good works. It doesn't matter if you go on a hajj or if you circle you know, that black rock in Mecca 10,000 times or if you give a bazillion dollars to the poor or if you – it doesn't matter. None of that counts for a hill of beans. It will get you nowhere with God. You cannot buy your salvation. You are 100% dead and stuck. Only Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, and he's offering you his righteousness perfectly for free. So we're like infants. We can only receive. Correct. You don't get to give. You get to receive. And that's the difference. Christianity is worlds apart from Islam. Worlds apart. And, and no, I'm sorry, McLaren, but Muhammad did not have an encounter with the one true God. And Ahmadinejad, this Jesus you're teaching is just not true. Anyway, when we get back, we're going to go through some scripture here to kind of <clears throat> flesh some of this stuff out so that you can uh, you know, see what we're talking about. What is the state of somebody who is not a Christian? What does the scripture say about this? We're going to talk about that when we get back from our break. If you would like to email me and let me know how you think that Islam is, you know, can save people because those are good people and, and we can't judge their hearts, send me an email. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Fighting for the Faith is underwritten in part by LifeLock. Did you know that identity theft is a $50 billion a year business? And the severe downturn in the economy is providing identity thieves with even more incentives to hijack your identity and destroy your good name. But LifeLock provides a proactive identity theft service specializing in the prevention of identity theft rather than the reporting of it. LifeLock was founded in 2005 and is already considered the industry leader in identity theft prevention. In fact... LifeLock CEO Todd Davis is so confident in LifeLock's ability to protect your good name and stop identity thieves dead in their tracks that he freely shares his social security number on television, radio, and the internet. Furthermore, LifeLock guarantees its services up to $1 million. For more information on LifeLock, visit FightingForTheFaith.com and click on the LifeLock logo on our homepage. All right, we're back. So what does the Bible say somebody's state before God is? If they're not a Christian. And is it possible for you to have your own ideas about Jesus and for that to just be okay with Jesus? Make up your own Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Smorgasbord Jesus. You want a Jesus that's a little bit more social active, socially active and, and a lot less focusing on, on sin and repentance and stuff like that. Make your own Jesus. Consider like Mr. Potato Head Jesus. You want him with, with, you know, with, a, with sunglasses and, and a big mustache. You can put that on him. You know, just mix and match. It doesn't matter. Just make your own Jesus, right? My Jesus smokes a pipe. Your Jesus smokes a pipe? Yeah. Wow, your Jesus is so much cooler than my Jesus, man. <laughs> you know... So I mean, we're going to we're going to take a look at some scripture. So grab your Bible. We're going to do a little bit of biblical work here today because that's what we do. We do. We compare stuff with what's going on. So here's the deal. You know, we got Rick Warren at the, you know, giving the speech at the Muslim Public Affairs Council and the Muslims coming out of there thinking, wow, you know, Christianity and Islam are two two sides of the same coin. And you got Brian McLaren in his book claiming that Muhammad had an encounter with the one true God. I'm saying there's something seriously wrong here, folks. Something seriously wrong here. I'm sorry. It's time for us Christians to get back to basics and stop acting like you can have whatever Jesus you want and it doesn't matter. Because here's the reality is, is that we've been given a message to preach. We don't get to mess it up. We don't get to alter it. We don't get to make it politically correct. We don't get to shave off the hard edges and so that we don't have to be, you know, suffer and, and be unpopular. No, it's time for us to say, no, this is what God's word says period. You don't like it? That's your problem. Your blood is on your hands, not mine. That's our attitude. And if people won't listen to you, what does Jesus say in his word? If people won't, if you, if he sent the disciples out two by two, right? And he said, you go into a town and, and, and what did he say about those who wouldn't listen? Did he say, oh, just change the message up a little bit and make it a little friendlier. And, and then maybe they'll, they'll accept it. I don't think so. No, you know what he said? He said, "Shake the you know, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet uh, as a, as a testimony against them." So we've got to stop acting like we can somehow 
convince everybody to become Christians or, or that somehow if we just get rid of the offensive parts of our message that it'll, that we can win more people to Christ baloney. If you're not actually preaching what the Bible teaches, and if you're not actually delivering the actual message of the gospel, then you're not making true converts to Christianity. You're bringing a bunch of false converts in who think that they're Christians when they don't even know what Christianity is. It's time for us to say that. Feel a little strong about that today. So here, listen to this. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. I, I want you to listen to this to uh, what Paul said to the Corinthian church about people who were preaching a, a different Jesus. Okay, First Corinthians chapter eleven, starting in verse one. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. I wish you would bear with me a, a, a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Let me stop there for a second. You think Paul's seriously concerned about the Corinthian church at this point? Yeah, you better you better believe he is. If he's saying that he's afraid for the Corinthian church, that they would be deceived the same way Eve would de- was deceived. By the way, when Eve was deceived, was that just some small little thing? I don't think so. That was pretty devastating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you say that the entire world is mired in sin, misery, suffering, and despair as a result of the deception that occurred with Eve? And the, and the and by the way, Satan's number one favorite ploy of all times is deception. Okay, so Paul here is saying in Second Corinthians chapter eleven that he's afraid for the Corinthian church that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that their thoughts would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He says, for if someone comes and proclaims to you another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. You put up with it readily enough. Is Paul praising them for doing that? No, he's not. He's concerned. And Paul here in 2 Corinthians 11, 4 says that there is another Jesus. There is a different spirit and a different gospel. And the purpose of these, of the different Jesus, the different spirit and the different gospel is a satanic ploy to lead you away from a sincere devotion to Christ. I'm sorry, but the Jesus of Islam is a different Jesus. It's not the one true Jesus of Scripture. And you cannot say that you are going to be saved or you are truly a Christ follower if you're following the Jesus of of Islam. That Jesus is completely powerless to save you because he didn't die on the cross for your sins and he didn't raise from the dead. And I'm glad to hear that there are some Muslims out there who have enough guts to say, wait a second, our Jesus is different than your Jesus. How come we Christians can't do that? We have the true Jesus and they have the lie Jesus and they are, they're bolder with their lying Jesus than we are with the true Jesus. What's up with that? Okay, here we go. Now, we're gonna, with that in mind... This idea that there's a true Jesus, a false Jesus, a different spirit and a false gospel and all these kind of things. That's what scripture says, right? Yes. What is the uh, state of somebody who is not a Christian? Somebody who does not trust in Christ for their salvation, but follows a different religion or is a pagan or an atheist or just name whatever else out. There's there's either a true Christian or there's everything else. What's this? According to the scripture, what's their state before God? Not pleasing to God, they will not be with him. No, well, that's right. But let's let's bear this out. Okay, let me read this for you, Ephesians chapter 2. 
I'm going to read, uh, read verses 1 through 22. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Okay, and I'll point some important things out along the way. Listen to this. Uh, Paul writing to the Ephesians, he's re- referring back to before they became Christians, as you and you were dead in trespasses and sins, in whence you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Right off the bat, verses 1 and 2, um, somebody who isn't a Christian is dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Does that sound like a good thing? No. No. Okay. Among whom we all once lived. Once, see, talk, Paul's writing the, the epistle to the Ephesians to Christians, and he's referring back to before they were Christians and said that at one time they were dead in their trespasses and sins. They follow the course of the world, follow the prince of the power of the air uh, that is at work in the sons of de- disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So by nature, mankind, all of mankind is, they are um, children of wrath. That's what the passage says. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. So that in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here we've got this uh, interesting little dichotomy going on here. In Ephesians, Paul is literally saying that before they became Christians, they were dead in their trespasses and sins, followed the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, and were by nature sons of disobedience and objects of God's wrath. That's how God views everybody who is not a Christian, who does not trust in Christ for salvation. That's his view of them. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to, uh, John, you're a sick man. He brought me a copy of The Purpose Driven uh, Life and today eight. Oh, man. Okay. We continue in the scriptures. Okay. This next section is really important. Listen to what Paul says in in verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises and having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul reminding these Ephesians who were Gentiles before they became Christians that at one time they were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and having no hope without God. Folks, what is the state of somebody who is not a Christian? They are alienated from Christ. They are separated from Christ. They have no hope and they're without God. And no religion outside of Christianity is going to save them, period. So what do we think of our Muslim brothers? Well, they're brothers in the sense that we're all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, right? Okay, we're all descendants of common parents. 
We all share humanity together. The thing we have in common with Muslims is that we're sinners. But the things that, that what makes us different is that Islam does not have forgiveness of sins. None. It's all the works that you've got to do to save yourself. And quite frankly, the God they follow is not the true God. It's a different Jesus. It's a different God. It's a different gospel. It's a different spirit. And it cannot save them. And according to Ephesians here, that these people are separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promises, and having no hope and without God. And he says, but, but now in Christ, in Christ, those of us who are in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here's the deal. You were once far off, and if you were a Christian, now you've been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, the dividing wall of hostility between you and me and God. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. No longer. At one time you were strangers and aliens to God. But you are no longer if you were in Christ. But you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what is, according to Ephesians chapter 2, what is the state of somebody who is not a Christian? They are alienated from God. They have no hope. They are a son of disobedience. They are by nature an object of God's wrath. Only in Christ do we have peace with God. Only. God does not offer peace with him through Allah, through Buddha, through Vishnu, through Shiva, through any of the, any of the other false deities out there in the world. A, you know, Molech, Baal, name it. Zeus, Athena, who cares? Peace with God is only offered through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus in Matthew 28 said, go and make disciples, he was basically declaring that no religion should stand except for the one true religion of religion that is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. He didn't say go and coexist. He said, go and make disciples. And when we go and make disciples, we don't keep people in their false religions. We liberate them from it. Right? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. John writes me, you know, you can say that. <laughs> Why don't you let... <laughs> Mormons have a different Jesus too. Yeah, they do. Mormons have a completely different Jesus. Folks, Mormonism is not a Christian denomination. Mormonism doesn't teach that Jesus Christ is the one true God in human flesh, that he's the second person of the Holy Trinity. Mormonism actually teaches that Jesus Christ is... Um, is literally the physical child of Elohim, God, and uh, and that Satan also is, you know, is 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 Jesus's brother. Okay, the key the key doctrine in Mormonism is what they call the law of eternal progression. As God, uh, as man is, God once was. As God is, man can become. Mormonism is a is a religion all about you learning how to make yourself worthy to become a god. 
and Jesus is you know is just one God among many 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 gods. So I can be Jesus. Yeah, you can be just like him. In fact, he's your spirit brother. Scary, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. All right. So we continue. Listen to this. Uh, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Why would we have to flee from idolatry if uh, God can be served in any other religions? If we just, you know, if we can celebrate the, celebrate the other, you know, celebrate Jesus in the other, right? As the, as the emergents say. Paul says, flee idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the the sacrifices participants in the altar? Yes. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. Biblically, what we just read, back in those days, in Corinth, there was a a great uh, temple to Apollo. I don't know if you knew this. And uh, the meat market in... uh, in, in, uh, Corinth, you know, basically their meat was supplied from, uh, from the sacrifices that were sacrificed to Apollo. What does Paul say about those sacrifices? That they were offered to demons. Now I'm sure the people who followed and worshiped Apollo were very religious people. Look at they were they were so religious that they were offering sacrifices at the local temple to their god. They were sincere in what they believed, sincere in what they taught. But Paul says that the pagans what they sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons, Paul says. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Islam will not save anyone through Allah and the false Jesus offered in the Quran. Not one person will be saved. Not one. Because it denies the one true God. It denies who Jesus is. And Muhammad did not have an encounter with God. He had an encounter with a demon. Plain and simple. If he actually was uh, inspired by or communicating with spiritual entities, they weren't God's angels. Because the Jesus he speaks of is not the Jesus of speak- of Scripture. Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Led astray is probably a strong way of putting it. Talking to the Corinthians that when they were pagans, they were led astray to follow after mute idols. Led astray. doesn't say that to celebrate their differences. All right? Or how about Gospel of John, chapter 3, starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
So here we've got it. Who's right? The Quran, which says that Allah has no God? Or John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? The two claims are mutually exclusive. Period. If you believe in the Son, the only begotten Son, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. But whoever... Uh, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So those... Muslims in Nazareth who put those banners up claiming that Allah has no son, they stand condemned already. That's their state. They stand condemned already because they do not believe in the name of the only son of God. That's what scripture says about them. Now, folks, are you going to let them go to hell without knowing the truth? Or in love, are you going to serve your neighbor and proclaim the one true God and forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh? the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For whoever does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So every Muslim out there that denies that Allah has a Son, denies that Jesus is the one true God in human flesh, denies that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, every Muslim, every Buddhist, every Hindu, every atheist, every agnostic, everybody who denies and trusts the one true God, Trust the Son. It says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. They are under God's wrath. They are under God's condemnation. They are hell bound. And what are we going to do about it? What should we do about it? Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. We're not to go and coexist. We're not to go and get along. We're not to go and make the world a better place. We are to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Because that's what Jesus Christ told us to do. And Jesus, his own words, make it clear that there is salvation found in no one except for him. None. So we've got to stop this ridiculous, stupid, sissy approach to being Christians where we just want to get along with everybody. Can't we all just get along? No. Did it, Christ get along with everybody? Well, apparently, apparently he was all about throwing over hegonomic systems and, and imperial, whatever. You get my point? <laughs> I thought they crucified Jesus. Yeah, they did. Oh, okay. You know, that's the thing is, is that, you know, today, if you upset somebody, if you say something that upsets somebody, apparently you're doing something that's unchristian. Well, Jesus really cheesed off a bunch of people, so much so that they crucified him. The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't stand that guy 
And they were very upset by the things that he said. And they were very religious. Very religious. And what they do, they got rid of him. Okay. They, they, well, at least they thought they did. Right. And what does Jesus say? That the, that the, that the, the student is not greater than the master. If they hated him, they're going to hate us too. It's time for us to start boldly preaching the word and stop being so concerned as to whether or not the world's going to like us. Well, you might never get in the New York Times. You might not ever get on the, on the, on the news. I'm talking about this, though. That we're going to segue into our next segment. Here's my question. What is Rick Warren? Is he a pastor? What's on his business card? Well, yeah, Pastor Rick Warren. Dr. Pastor Rick Warren, right? What, what is he? Okay, the reason I ask this question is because um, you know Rick Warren continues to be in the news. And when I went and actually had my, my face-to-face meeting with Rick Warren, one of the things that impressed me, um, and let me give you a little bit of a context for this, is that Rick Warren has a security detail. Okay, now, just so you know a little bit about my past, okay, at one time I was the treasurer for the Republican Party in Riverside County, okay? I learned all about politics from within side of party politics, and it was not very fun, and that's one of the things that cured me of politics. Um, but that's a whole other story. And so let's just say that in my time as the treasurer of the Republican Party in Riverside County, I had the opportunity to meet a few presidential candidates, okay, both during primary time and during election time, okay? And one of the... <laughs> One of the things I was absolutely impressed with when uh, Bob Dwayne and I met with Rick Warren is that Rick Warren has a professional security detail that's every bit as good and visible as any political candidate that I've ever seen, okay, which makes makes me want to ask the question, um, why does a pastor need a security detail? What is Rick Warren? What is he? Okay. And uh, let me let me play this little video for you, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Because here's the deal. This whole Rick Warren, President Obama inauguration invocation flap just continues to churn on in the media. And i you know, I got to admit I'm a little bored by it. But since it's in there, we're going to continue covering it. And I want you to hear this uh, from CBS's early show. I want you to hear this little piece right here. And, uh, you know, again, we're going to be asking the question, what is Rick Warren? Here we go. This week we told you about the president-elect's election of Pastor Rick Warren to give the invocation to his inauguration is causing an uproar among gays and lesbians. But yesterday, Warren paid a visit to a West Hollywood store that supports gay causes. CBS News correspondent Bill Whitaker reports. He was in the store shopping, buying books. Errol Sarabi, manager of Out of the Closet in West Hollywood, is talking about Rick Warren, the best-selling pastor of Orange County Saddleback Megachurch, the openly gay manager of the AIDS thrift store and the evangelical cleric at the center of the Obama inauguration controversy, had their picture taken and chatted. Kind of just wanted me to know that his church had given a lot of money to people with AIDS and not to believe everything that I read. Okay, I got to stop for a second. Okay, I, 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 uh, Fighting for the Faith currently broadcasts from Southern California, from Orange County. Okay, we're in South Orange County. We're in the shadow of uh, Saddleback Church, and, and West Hollywood ain't very close to here. Okay, um, it's on a good day with no traffic. It's about an hour and ten minutes from here. You got to. You have to have a reason for going there, okay? And here, here's the deal: Rick Warren lives in Mission Viejo, which is literally ten minutes up the freeway from us. And a, a couple of days ago, he just happened to be in West Hollywood, 
and just happened to be shopping in West Hollywood and just happened to walk into um, this AIDS thrift store called Out of the Closet and just happened to take his photograph with the guy who runs the place. Is this a coincidence or is this a PR stunt? Uh, that falls into the category of, yeah, right. Yeah, huh? Okay. So we got Rick Warren who uh, – and, and what's funny is, is that, you know, the uh, you ever heard of that uh, that that uh, TMZ? It's it's that co- it's like one of those uh, online papers that that uh, covers like the you know the, the paparazzi have their photographs that they chase after movie stars and stuff like that. TMZ covered this story, and there's a photograph from TMZ, and I'll put a link up to this. Um, uh, you know, it was on December 23rd, so it's two days before Christmas. Rick Warren just happened to be in West Hollywood shopping and visited this store out of the closet and had his picture taken with the, with the guy who runs that place, Errol Sarabi, right? Folks, does, something's – I'm sorry, but having worked in politics, I smell spin, Okay. I've worked with politicians. I've seen how they operate. And boy, believe me when I tell you, there's something fishy going on here. And I want to continue asking the question now, what is Rick Warren? Well, when we come back from our second break, we will continue with that question and, uh, you know, and with the rest of the story so that you can uh, figure out what's going on here. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far do so talk back at fightingforthefaith.com and we will be right back if you think god is a black woman named papa then you need to get out of the shack and read your bible You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough! Of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com. 
or the big picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. <laughs>